Welcome, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com. And on today's flashback edition of the Corbett Report, we're going to dip into the archives from 2010 for an interview that I conducted 12 years ago with G. Edward Griffin and Michael Murphy about their then brand new documentary on what in the world are they spraying, which I'm sure people in my audience probably know was followed up um, a sh short time later with Why in the World Are They Spraying? If you are unfamiliar with those documentaries whatsoever, or if you would like to re-familiarize yourself with them, I will put the links in the show notes so that you can go and follow and find out more information about them. But I know that this is a topic that is near and dear to the hearts of many of the corporate reporters out there, because I do hear about it, especially, for example, like in my recent post on droughts, cloud seeding, and the coming water wars. Uh, I, of course, bring up the subject, and I received a lot of feedback and a lot of people with their personal stories. Uh, for example, activist Barry Dudden out there in Ontario, Canada, in my home and native land, uh, sent me recently a video of the murky, contrail, contrail, um, bestrewn skies of Ontario. And uh, as I say, I'm sure everyone has their own personal experience with this. As I allude to in this interview, I have my own personal experience, for example, as my time as an elementary school teacher here in Japan back in 2009. I remember being outside. I remember quite vividly a beautiful blue sky and watching plane after plane after plane crisscross through this beautiful blue sky until their persistent contrails started to diffuse out, and what had been a per per perfectly beautiful blue sky was suddenly a murky, soupy, gray pea soup mess that was certainly not cloud cover. And I do recall one of the teachers saying to me, oh, it's a cloudy day today. And I said, no, those are not clouds. Did you see what just happened? But evidently they did not see what just happened. I'm sure we can all relate to that experience. So I know that this is a topic that is of interest, continuing interest. So I think this particular blast from the past will also be of interest to uh, corporate reporters out there. Um, but in the interest of equal opportunity information providing, I will also provide the other side of the argument. I will provide a link to a debunking of what in the world are they spraying from contrailscience.com and a debunking of why in the world are they spraying from metabunk.org. And uh, as always, you are competent, capable adult human beings with rational faculties. So you can use those rational faculties to peruse that information and decide what information you're going to take on board and what you won't. Having said all of that, of course, this is a dip into the 2010 archives. And yes, the 2010 data archive is available as a USB from newworldnextweek.com. If you don't know about this yet, yes, each and every year of the Gorbert Report podcast and videos is being released as on USB as data, MP3, MP4, HTML files that you can plug into your computer and, and have them stored in a physical location. As always, I always want to stress, this is 100% free information. You can download this conversation with G. Edward Griffin and Michael Murphy from my servers for free right now. You do not have to pay me one penny or one yen or whatever your uh, your uh, token of choice is. Um, so please, and I encourage it, please do download this and spread it to the four winds. That's what this information is for. If you would like it in a handy dandy physical form and 
and in a convenient way, and also, hey, want to support the Corbett Report, then I do appreciate your purchases in that regards. So these USBs contain every single article, interview, podcast, and video from each year of the Corbett Report podcast. Um, we're on the 2010 edition now. Future editions will be coming shortly. Um, having said that, as always, the caveat, this video was made by video editor Brock West in 2022, so it is not available on the 2010 data archive. The audio of this conversation is on the 2010 archive. But all that being said, enjoy the interview. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and it is the 27th of July here in Japan. Uh, joining me on the line today is filmmaker Michael J. Murphy and legendary researcher and author G. Edward Griffin, who are currently combining forces to create a new documentary about the ongoing stratospheric aerosol geoengineering campaign, commonly known as chemtrailing. And that documentary is called What in the World Are They Spraying? And the trailer is widely available online. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thanks for inviting well, us, James. Yeah, thanks, James. An honor to uh, to be on your program to talk about this important issue. Well, it is definitely an honor to have you here because this is an extremely important issue. So, Michael Murphy, let's start with you. Uh, why don't you tell us about how you came to start working on this project with Mr. Griffin and what prompted you to take up this subject in particular? Well, it, it was real interesting because, uh, like most people, the first person that told me about the aerosol spraying, I really thought that they were completely crazy. Uh, but a couple months later, somebody had actually pointed it out and showed me a, a plane spraying aerosols into the sky. So uh, naturally, I began to research this on the Internet and developed uh, a curiosity. But what really had uh, propelled me into becoming more and more interested was back in February where there was a geoengineering conference in San Diego, um, which I hadn't had attended, and I wanted to learn more about these programs. And for three days, geoengineers proposed their programs of stratospheric aerosol geoengineering, uh, which essentially were programs to spray 10 to 20 million tons of aluminum and barium into the upper atmosphere for what they said was the stated goal of cooling the planet, um, which is very shocking because during that meeting, I had learned actually, A, how damaging uh, both aluminum and barium, and we can talk a little more about that uh, further into the program, uh, about the toxicity, both not only to human health, but also to ecosystems. I also met several people who have been doing rain, soil, and water tests, which revealed just that, massive amounts of aluminum and barium um, all around the world. Of course, uh, when I was there, I had asked the geoengineers uh, about the current deployment of these programs, and they emphatically denied it. However, during that time, I met many people who uh, told me that they had a mountain of evidence that not only suggests that these programs are ongoing, but also uh, destroying ecosystems and human health literally around the globe. So I developed just a great concern um, because of what I had learned there, and uh, I had written some articles and began to, uh, to film, and that's when we, uh, we hooked up with Mr. Griffin. Um, we actually went over to his house to, uh, to interview him on a different subject, and I said, you know, I said, Ed, can, can I talk to you about an issue commonly called chemtrails? And, 
he said, you know what, I'm interested in that subject. So we started talking, and I kind of shared with him uh, what we had found, um, which was very shocking. And he said, you know, uh, this is not good. He said, I'd like to get involved uh, with this project if I could, and that's, that's pretty much how we came together. So what prompted you to go to Mr. Griffin in the first place? Well, it, it was not on the issue of geoengineering. Um, we were uh, just doing some interviews um, for a different project. So we uh, obviously had seen a lot of his work, not only on, on many of the different documentaries, but also uh, his deep intellectual work on, on books uh, such as uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island. So it was an honor to, uh, to come out and, and to interview him about some of those issues. So it was really... Um, you know, just the respect that we had for uh, both he and his work that prompted us to to go out there. Well, I can certainly understand that, obviously, G. Edward Griffin brings a lot of respect with him from uh, a lot of people who do know his other work on, on things like the Federal Reserve. So, so Mr. Griffin, uh, what really was your interest in, in, the, in the chemtrailing issue, and how long have you been exploring this? Well, I guess... Uh, the honest answer to that is that um, my interest began probably around 10 years ago when I started to observe it in the sky. I thought, what in the world are they spraying? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was amazing to me from the very get-go how many people could look up in the sky and either not see the spraying at all, not notice it, and it was so obvious, or if they did see it, they were perfectly content to accept the explanation that it was just normal jet trails, you know, vapor trails. And to me, it seems so absurd that this, uh, that anybody could believe that when you compared real jet trails, which I've been watching all my life. You know, they're little tiny vapor things that travel along behind the aircraft, don't last probably more than maybe half a mile behind the aircraft, and then they, they are absorbed back into the atmosphere. Um, and then you compare that with these, these uh, vaporous trails that spread all over the, the sky, and, and within an hour or two, they've, they've milked up the sky. They can hardly see the sun. But what do you mean? You, how can you believe that that is just a plain jet trail? So I became kind of curious not only about the jet trails, but I became curious about the way to which, in which people can be convinced of something that is so obviously not true, simply because they heard it on the television or they hear it from some authority. And so I was in a state of somewhat, um, I guess you'd say, anger about that and great disappointment in the human race that so many people could swallow this line. And and then I, I thought that you know, surely somebody will do a great expose on this, somebody better qualified than I. I was tempted at one time. I thought, no, there are plenty of engineers and pilots and, and scientists who should tackle this. Well, the years went by, and there really wasn't anything of, you know, definitive on this study. So when Mike and Paul showed up at my house that day, and they were already determined to do something with it, and they, they apparently had the, uh, the skills to do it, I thought, well, isn't this an opportunity to uh, jump on board and see if I can help? So it was a thing that grew over many years, James. Right. Well, that's, uh, that's very interesting, because I, I have 
almost the exact same reaction to the way that people are able to convince themselves that what they're seeing is completely normal and usual. And uh, I remember at one point trying to point out to someone that what we were seeing was not cloud and that we had just watched the sky be painted over, but uh, they were... We're just unable to see that, and I think that is one of those frustrating things that uh, that really makes you question people's ability to to understand something of this uh, size and magnitude. So that's why I think this documentary is so hotly anticipated, and everyone is looking forward to it. And just on that note, I understand that uh, we can get some information about this from truthmediaproductions.com, but is there a website for this documentary specifically? Well, uh, there isn't one really that's up and functioning yet. There will be, of course, as soon as the production is available. But anyone who wants to um, learn as much as uh, we already have about it and wants to get online and be notified when the video is finally released, they can come to our Reality Zone website. That's pretty easy to remember. It's realityzone.com. And uh, the minute you get there, one of the big... um, advertisements, one of the big panels that will be right there on screen is uh, a notification about uh, becoming an angel is how we say it. We were looking initially and still are looking for uh, people to help us uh, finance this project and we've been very, very happy with the positive response we've received. If it hadn't been for people from all over the world helping us out financially, there's no way that we could have uh, you know, put this production together as quickly as we have been. But uh, other than that, people can come online, see what we have already published about it, and, and be um, ready to receive a notice when the DVD is finally released. So that's realityzone.com. I certainly hope people will check that out and think about becoming an angel investor in this because it is so important that people do support the the documentary filmmakers who are not being funded by major corporations. So um, on that note, Michael Murphy, I understand you've been working on this for quite some time. Uh, How much footage do you have and how many interviews have you conducted? Oh, my God. We literally have hundreds of hours of footage we've conducted. I would say roughly about... 60 different interviews, and this uh, comes from just a wide range of professionals, uh, physicians, uh, scientists, people who are really qualified to talk about what we're finding. Um, What we're finding, can can I go into that? Absolutely, please do. Yeah, it it was interesting because, again, I'm going to go back to geoengineers models, which we're proposing dumping 10 to 20 million tons of aluminum and barium into the atmosphere people are finding elevated levels and alarming levels around the world. Um, and I'll give you an example of the snow on Mount Shasta. Mount Shasta is removed far from any industry. As a baseline, it should have about seven parts per billion of aluminum. Um, a test was done by Francis Mangles, a retired 35-year uh, uh, USDA biologist, and he had sent the test into a government lab, and it revealed test results in drinking water allowables, before I tell you the, the numbers, uh, will only allow for 50 parts per billion. Government action, according to Francis, is required at 1,000 parts per billion. The test that was taken on Mount Shasta revealed 61,100 parts per billion of aluminum. That is extremely high. Um, And I want to say that because I want to go into this. Aluminum is very toxic, both to human health and, God, for the past seven years, we've seen an incredible increase in aluminum-related illness. It's going through the roof, such as Alzheimer's and many different neurological disorders. Barium, uh, which is being found in very high content, lowers our immune system, 
uh, creates high blood pressure and a bunch of other illness. And the, the real thing that we had initially started finding was in Northern California as well as around the world, uh, they're starting to see a die-off in the forest. Uh, and insects are dying, uh, and amphibians are dying. So when we went up to Northern California, that was one of the parts, one of the many different locations that uh, we went to in filming this um, and had spoken to many professionals, they had started testing. And what they found, they found that the pH of their soil was at a minimum 10 times the normal pH. So they be began asking questions, um, why is the pH changing? Um, and what they found was massive amounts of free-form aluminum. Free-form aluminum, when, fall, when it uh, falls into soil, will increase the pH. Now, in, in most soils, it will increase the pH. A lot of plant life and a lot of forests require an acidic soil to grow. So uh, they believe, without a shadow of a doubt, because it's what they're finding in the rain, uh, and there is a correlation between when trails are present and when they're not, when they're not, these levels uh, seem to come down a little bit, that this is the cause of the mass die-off that they're seeing. Um, and, and with that being said, uh, we can talk a little more perhaps later about uh, the aluminum-resistant seed that's uh, uh, the patent is owned by the USDA. Um, and that's very scary in itself. In fact, that was exactly what I was going to bring up with you. Of course, we saw Monsanto very recently talking about adding mon uh, aluminum resistance genes to certain subsistence crops. And it is extremely interesting that that comes along just as aluminum levels are exploding in soils. Yes, yeah, it's, one, it's gets, really one could get pretty suspicious about that, but of course that's not conclusive. I think um, the research that Michael and Paul have done uh, shows that there are parts of the world where uh, the soil is naturally rich in aluminum and it's considered to be low yield or low productive soil. And so therefore, Monsanto and other seed producers can logically claim, well, they're just developing the uh, you know, aluminum resistant crops for those parts of the world. But, uh, you know, those of us who have been watching Monsanto for these years uh, have a very highly raised eyebrow over the whole thing. Well, yeah, absolutely, and for good reason. But, of course, we should give benefit of the doubt where there is uh, some to be given because we want to build the strongest case possible. So let's talk about some of the other uh, things that you've uncovered. Obviously, you have talked to a lot of people who are skeptical that there is stratospheric aerosol geoengineering happening right now. So what kinds of points do they raise and what information have you been able to surface that contradicts that? <laughs> well, I, I mean, there's literally a mountain of evidence uh, coming up around the world that these programs, A, are real and B, a threat to, uh, to human health and uh, ecology. Now, we've spoken to a lot of people who uh, want to always go back to, to uh, NASA science about contrails, um, and they talk about how contrails can change depending on, on the, uh, the humidity and, and the level and these different weather conditions, which, you know, it might be true, but they never address uh, the, the fact about aerosol spraying. Um, they always come back to contrails. And I always tell them this, I believe in contrails. I've believed in contrails my entire life. You know, I don't refute that contrails are real. However, what we are seeing and what we're finding, I mean, it's really hard to cover up the mass contamination that's been found around the world, and they cannot address that issue. And I always tell them, you know, once you tell me 
where the massive amounts of aluminum and barium are coming from, if you can identify that, then <laughs> I will stop looking into this. But nobody has been able to do that. We have also just gotten back from a trip from Washington, D.C., and I uh, had several interviews with uh, congressmen um, and uh, people in Congress and then uh, a few senators as well, and none of them uh, were willing to uh, really address the issue of current deployment of these programs. So, you know, it appears that when you start bringing facts to this issue, which we certainly are, and we believe that through our investigation, we're bringing not only a mountain of evidence, but proof that these programs are real, uh, nobody has been able to, to refute us <laughs> publicly. The, the, some, now, we have had uh, critics in, in many different uh, websites who, who appear to uh, be pro-contrail and, and criticize a lot of our work. Um, Ed and I have made efforts to contact these people to get them to interview with us, and all of them uh, up to date have uh, wished to remain anonymous. So uh, that draws a lot of skepticism uh, about their credibility as well. Well, it's uh, very hard to debate uh, someone who wants to remain anonymous, isn't it? So it is interesting that they would choose to, to go that route. But, uh, well, that is very interesting. So so let's move out a little bit and talk a little bit about a, an issue that I think is, in one sense, it's just semantics, but in another sense, it seems to be a, a, a sort of an underlying point of this debate that a lot of people shy away from the term chemtrails. And we see all sorts of different proposed uh, names for this, including stratospheric aerosol geoengineering. To what extent do you think that that's merely a semantic debate? And what to what extent does that actually go to the root of uh, defining what, what it is we're facing? Well, I'll, I'll address that one. I think it's uh, primarily semantic because it's really basically the same thing. Um, it, it's just that uh, I think what they're trying to do, James, is, is uh, hang sort of a, um, a negative aura to the word chemtrails to make it sound as though anybody who even uses that word is uh, a little bit wacko. Uh, I think they're trying to do that. They're not succeeding, but I think they'd like very much to do that. Uh, I don't really care what you call it. <laughs> it. The fact is that you can look up in the sky and you can take the measurements of what's falling out of the sky, and you can see that those are chemtrails. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's semantic primarily. What, what do you think, Mike? Do you think there's a substantive difference in this? In, in terms of the, the words that we use, um, Absolutely not. You know, I, I think, of, uh, like like many different things, what they're trying to do, because uh, this movement, there's a mass awakening going on, and I would say 90% of the people aware of these programs do know them as chemtrails. So I think like any other movement, <laughs> there's an attempt to co-op uh, the terms that we use. And, you know, I'll tell you, I knew about the chemtrail issue a year and a half ago, very much. But if somebody came up to me and said, hey, I've got some incredible information about geoengineering programs that you might be interested in. I would have told them, you know, I'm not really interested in the geoengineering. I'm kind of starting to research the chemtrail issue. And that's what I think uh, is their attempt to change the word. So I've been very careful to try and use both words right now so that people can make the connection um, between both. Well, I, I agree, too, and I, I have used the, the term geoengineering because I think it's important for people to understand sort of the underlying 
uh, I guess, ideology or the underlying purpose of these programs, which is which is a grand scale attempt to really uh, to really terraform the Earth in a way, or to geoengineer what the the Earth that we're used to. So, so you have gone from a perspective of very very much skepticism of this issue uh, to one of uh, be constructing the, the one of the definitive documentaries on the subject. So obviously you've undergone quite a, a transformation, Mr. Murphy. So what are some of the most surprising things that you've uncovered during your, your research into this? Well, you know, we, we found a lot, and, and we're really taking this from, we know that these are more than just geoengineering programs. A lot of different things other than aluminum and barium have been found. However, the, the, the market that we're addressing, the people that we're addressing are mainly people who, who might be unaware of what these programs are. And while we would like to go in-depth to uh, some of the other issues, such as that people propose and investigate maybe the depopulation uh, agenda with it, perhaps the weather modification, we address these very lightly, but we're trying to keep it real basic. So, you know, the, the most surprising, I think, thing that we found are the massive amounts of, of, uh, of these substances, what really shocked me, though, were, were the, uh, and we get into this, what were, was the aluminum-related illness that's going through the roof. I really believe uh, with all my heart that many people are not only getting ill, but are dying from these programs. But what shocked me was uh, the devastation that we're seeing to the ecology, and this is on a worldwide scale. And uh, that really shocked me. It scared me. Um, and I think it needs to uh, become public. So with that being said, uh, that's probably the most shocking, the human health and the ecological effects with it. But then, you know, and we kind of expected this, our public officials, when addressed, um, literally some of them, when we were in Washington, D.C. last week, literally ran from us uh, in an attempt to get away from addressing this issue. So we have had, you know, some... Uh, people running for political office, Shalene Nightingale, who's publicly spoken about it, Mark Reed as well, who's running for Congress. And, you know, we definitely honor that, but it appears that something happens uh, after they take office. And I think it's obvious to a lot of people what that something may be. But <laughs> that's, uh, it's, it's not shocking, but uh, to me it's very concerning. Have you been able to connect any names of individuals or companies to this program or tie it into any specific patents or anything along those lines? Well, we, we absolutely have. Um, and, and some of those patents will be in the film and some of those names will be in the film. We think it's real important to disclose that information at, at the proper time. So uh, we're going to save that one for the film, uh, I think. Well, certainly understandable. So, so, Mr. Griffin, how would you define your role in this documentary, and, and what kind of work have you done on it? Well, I guess uh, my, the best definition of my role here is as a cheerleader, and um, I've helped uh, perhaps bring attention. I helped raise some money for the film through the people who are uh, subscribers to, uh, to my website. I've uh, offered a lot of suggestions, and uh, I'm willing to participate in the film. I have a little bit of a role You'll probably see my, my face in there and my voice. But um, primarily, I'm, I'm just sort of uh, a well-wisher and uh, a participant. The real work is being done uh, by Mike and Paul. Absolutely. Well, well, Mike, tell us a little bit more about Truth Media Productions and the work that you've been doing with Paul uh, previous to this documentary. 
Well, essentially, Paul and I started working together just covering issues that go beyond the corporate mainstream media. So our focus, uh, initially, we, we had met. I'm fairly new to Los Angeles. I uh, got here in October, and we had met during an H1N1 uh, uh, event that we were covering to try and uh, spread awareness. So uh, after that, we just started. Uh, actually, our first film together was a general chemtrail film where we went out onto Hollywood Boulevard and we just interviewed the general public and asked them what, what it was that they were seeing being spray, sprayed out of the airplanes. Um, Paul did a fantastic job cutting that video and it literally went viral uh, around the internet and we decided that we had uh, a pretty good team, he and I working together in terms of film. So uh, what we had planned to do, and this was all out of pocket and it was simply by hobby, we just went went out and started uh, talking to people who were running for political office and, and talking to people uh, like Mr. Griffin and, and getting interviews, um, and the interviews were, were very effective. So uh, our work together, we seem to be a very good team, and God, now we have, have a third part of that team, and, and we just couldn't be more excited about, about uh, what each and every one of us brings uh, to this project. It's just been incredible. Excellent. Well, it is exciting to hear that because as we've discussed, this is such an important issue. But uh, I think, well, let me open this up to, to either of you or both of you if you'd like to address it. But I think one of the things that a lot of people have difficulty in dealing with when we're talking about this subject is just the scope and of what's going on and to, to think that there is a program that is not being fully admitted to that is uh, doing all of this, not only in America, of course, but around the world and is uh, currently, as you say, likely causing people to fall ill and even die. Uh, the sca the sca scale of what's going on is just uh, very difficult for a lot of people to comprehend. How do you address that sort of cognitive dissonance that a lot of people feel when facing this issue? Well, James, I think you've really hit the nail on the head. I think that this is the primary reason so many people are not able, and I'll put that word in quotes, not able to see what they're looking at, is because subconsciously they know that if they really see what they see, then that brings up this very issue that you have raised, which is, well, that means, what does that mean? That means that we're being fooled. That means there are hidden agendas. That means that we're in big, big trouble. That means there are, you know, things like this going on, and that means that our government and our leaders and our media and uh, all of our leaders are complicit in some way in this cover-up or in this operation, and nobody wants to believe that. And so, therefore, what's the alternative? They say, well, that's not what I really see, therefore. Because if I see what I really see, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> and, and, James, I think we do a very effective job in addressing that the way that we do. Because for, for us, it's not a real complicated matter. We have geoengineers who, who have spoken about these models, and there's been many publications about uh, the stratospheric aerosol geoengineering, spraying aluminum and barium. There's a Hughes aircraft uh, patent which calls for the disbursement of those very aerosols. And then if you go to, to part three, that's what's being found in massive amounts, the aluminum, barium, and everything else. So we're going around investigating, talking to professionals, but then our trip from Washington, D.C., you know, made it real apparent, not that everybody knew about this issue. I don't think everybody that we spoke to did, but, you know, I really came back with the feeling that, yes, there's definitely people who, who are concerned 
uh, about covering this issue, and we'll go back to Congressman Dennis Kucinich back in October 2001 in his uh, Space Preservation Act, specifically wrote for the ceasing, and he used the word of chemtrails. A few months later, that word and that part of the bill had been removed, and we haven't heard another word. So uh, we think we have a real simple model, but a very compelling model when we tell the story. And we've literally been very effective in waking many people up. So it's not a real difficult uh, model that we're showing people. And because of that, I think many people uh, have awakened to it because there's proof. You know, we, we simply have uh, proof. And, and I think that's what people have failed to address uh, in, in, in a sense when addressing this issue. Well, absolutely. I think all of the indications are that a lot of people are overcoming their cognitive dissonance to, to start looking at that proof. So I'm glad that this documentary is coming along when it is, because I think this is an important time to be to be getting this information to people. But I guess the other side of uh, looking at this is to think of such a monumental international uh, and secretive campaign going on uh, that is likely causing illness and, and even death. Uh, obviously, this is not the type of thing that could be admitted uh, to without people uh, suffering very serious consequences. And, and if there was justice working, obviously, there would be pe people who would be put on trial for, for crimes against humanity and this, this type of thing, which means, obviously, it's not the type of uh, thing that's going to be very easy to expose or to get any sort of public uh, uh, admissions to uh, from elected officials or anyone of that sort. So, so what, what exactly are, are, are we planning to accomplish in, in I guess, uh, bringing this to, to, to public light? And, and then how do you see that, that type of movement unfolding from there? Well, I think that realistically all we can do with this project is just bring it to light. Now, what happens after that is, is a good question, and it's an important issue. We've talked about this, that we can't just put this video out there and, and say, okay, we've, we've done our job. I think somewhere in the aftermath of that, uh, we'll have to uh, invite people to associate with each other and perhaps form some kind of a, a movement. Uh, we're kind of looking at that right now. It would have to be a nonpartisan movement. It'd have to be divorced from just about all the other issues because people may have different opinions on this, that, and the other thing. But we would like to bring them all together in unity on the need to bring an end to these things. So, yeah, we're definitely looking at that. But right now, we don't have anything uh, really ready to announce. All right, excellent. Well, are there any final thoughts that either of you would like to leave with the listeners today? Um, I really just want to encourage people to look into this and start looking at the research and looking at the facts with these programs. And once awakened, this is not only something that me or Red or Paul can do together. We literally need people to wake up and start waking other people up because we figure probably 90% of the population is unaware of these issues. And within that poll of 90% of the people, there are probably many who would do something and take action if they were aware of it. So, you know, one of the things that I try and do is encourage people who are aware of this issue to continue pointing it out and raising awareness. I really, really strongly feel that the future of humanity is dependent on it. So please just uh, look into this, address it, and try and wake other people up. And Mr. Griffin? Well, I would just say amen, brother, to all of that. Uh, I would also prepare people for a very interesting and educational experience, 
and uh, also prepare them for a little bit of flack because uh, we're uh, opposing some very powerful forces here. And uh, as, we, uh, as we approach the finish line here, uh, I can already see the momentum of opposition building. I see a, a lot of attention being spent on the Internet and in the media, other forms of the media, where they just all of a sudden accelerated the effort to convince everybody that, uh, you know, what's going on in the skies is just perfectly normal. They never did that before, but in the last few months, they've almost become uh, uh, panicky about it. And uh, so I would imagine that the next step will be some kind of uh, major attack against uh, uh, against us and against our our video and against anybody who speaks out. So I, I'm I'm just uh, sort of warning everybody that this is going to be very exciting and very important. And it, I'm glad we're living in these exciting times because uh, we're going to have a chance to really make a difference in the world. Well, that's exactly right, and that, that's exactly what I'd like the listeners to focus on, because it is uh, through our efforts that we will make uh, the difference in the world. So thanks once again for all of the work that you're doing, and thanks for joining me today. All right, thanks for inviting us, James. Yeah, thanks again, James. Really appreciate you for covering this issue. Thank you.